students are kind of dwindling up. It's, it's great to have John and Hannah Stage of Price are being confirmed in the movie. And so we pray that God fill our hearts with the Holy Spirit and joy, joyfully give answer questions that will be uh, brought up. Today is called Zowie. You can see that? Zowie. And if you look in the back of the intro of this, you say, Hear, O Lord. Zowie means, Hear, O Lord. Last week, the uh, Sunday before God's Day, which means we pray. God's telling us to pray and reply by saying, Hear me. Because in all times of persecution, the trial has to hear us. And you know the answers. We will begin with our opening hymn, CLA 35. Please note which standards are sung by the men.
We love it in the Lord. Let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins to God our Father, beseeching Him in the name of our Lord, grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God, merciful Father, I have a poor miserable sinner. I confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, with which I have ever offended you, and have justly deserved your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them. And I pray you for boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, to poor sinful being. Upon this, by virtue of my office, and all the ordained servant, announce the grace of God unto all of you. And instead, by the command, my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. with my voice, hallelujah. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me, hallelujah. The Lord is my light and my
didst descend in triumph far above all heavens. We beseech thee, leave us not comfortless, but send to us the spirit of truth, promised of the Father. O thou who with the Father and the Holy Ghost livest and reignest ever one God, world without end.
being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I am even the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Uh, the men's choir does not sing stanza two.
Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. <clears throat> that portion of God's word which we consider this morning, the Holy Spirit caused the evangelist John to write. We place a special emphasis on these words of today's God. When the paraclete comes, the spirit of truth, whom I will send you from, who proceed, I will send you from the Father. The, but when the paraclete comes, the spirit of truth, whom I will send to you from the Father, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Let us pray. Let me be thine forever, thou faithful God and Lord. Let me forsake thee never, nor wander from thy word. Lord, do not let me waver, but give me steadfastness, and for such grace forever, thy holy name I'll bless. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, especially John Mark and Anastasia Catherine. Some in our history have thought it inappropriate for any 12-year-olds to promise that they will suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from the faith once delivered to the saints. In the age of rationalism, during the Enlightenment, which I call the Endarkenment, <clears throat> men valued reason so highly that they kept pushing the age of confirmation until it reached 18 years old. Only when someone really knows how to use his reason can one make such a commitment to the truth of God's word, they said. But they are wrong. The commitment was made when you both were a week old. I remember we drove a half hour to church at St. John's in Topeka to, to give you the same medicine that your mom and I still need. You were baptized along with two other babies. I don't remember exactly how old they were, but one looked to be about four months old and the other was like six months old. It was kind of comical since Anastasia was less than five pounds. Two fat babies next to two skinny little chipmunks. Now, I don't know why the parents of the other two babies waited so long, but whatever the reason, they were wrong. You don't wait for a family to be present to enter into the family of God. You don't care about vanities like how you look after pregnancy to give your children the washing of regeneration and eternal salvation. You don't wait to plan an earthly feast of food before you give your children the water, which if a man drink, he will never thirst. And so you don't wait for baptism. You don't wait to confirm your faith in him. You have already done so, John and Anastasia. You are already confirmed in the faith. And I feel bad at having made you wait so long when you have desired to eat and drink Christ's body and blood. This confirmation is an important day, but it is only a ceremony the church invented to highlight every day of your life. And I mean that truly. Every day, you renounce the devil and all his works and all his ways. Every day, you confess the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every day, you repent of your sins and believe, believe that Jesus forgives them with his blood. Every day, the Holy Spirit moves your heart to cry out, Abba, Father. Every day is your baptism, and every day you confess it, and that is what it means to be a Christian. We are not Christians because we understand everything perfectly. You remember Paul says, if anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. And we are not Christians because we can clearly articulate everything that Christ has taught, though we strive to do so to the best of our ability. God has given some different gifts, and no one ought to boast as if he did not receive his gift. We use the gifts to serve one another, but it is not our service 
that makes us Christians. Though we pray it shows that we are Christians. We are Christians by nothing that we have done. We are Christians because the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, has testified to us about Jesus. He has come from the Father's own heart and revealed to us a man who is the Son of God and our Savior and our Lord. We are Christians because we believe what the Holy Spirit has told us and taught us in the Word, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Mary's Son, is our Savior from all sins, from death, from the devil, from the world, from hell, from judgment. And so you, John and Anastasia, are Christians because you care more about what God thinks of you than what people think of you. Now, I would like to teach you in the congregation two Latin phrases, and they're pretty easy. They're helpful for us in discerning the truth of who we are. And they are very simple. Coram Deo and Coram Mundo. Let's say Coram Deo. Coram Deo. That means before God or in front of God. And Coram Mundo. Let's say Coram Mundo. Coram Mundo. That means in front of the world. What is happening today, as you renew your vows that were made for you in your baptism, is before God and before the world. And we will learn, relying on the gospel for today, what this means for all of us, but especially for our dear brother and sister, John and Anastasia. You cannot know how you stand Coram Deo before God if you care first about how you stand Coram Mundo before the world. If you care more about how you look in front of the world than how you look in front of God, then your treasure will be in a world that is dying and not in Christ who is risen from death and lives. It is, as our Savior says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And those who care first about how the world thinks of them will adopt the values and righteousness of the world. The righteousness of the world is how we look to other people. Since people can't see our hearts, the righteousness of the world doesn't judge your heart correctly. And so the righteousness of the world doesn't judge your actions correctly. The world doesn't know your heart. God does. Now, since the world is only concerned with how honorable and loved she is in front of others, she is accustomed to ignore the truth about herself. And when we care more about what the world thinks than about what God thinks, we will actually we will also ignore who we actually are. We are sinners. Now the world might say, yeah, we're all sinners, but she will not accept how truly sinful we are. The world is attractive because she does not judge your heart. She seems to let you off easy. She doesn't teach that the innermost parts of our soul are by nature sinful and unclean. She doesn't teach in all of her religions that she has invented what Jesus teaches us out of the heart from within. The hearts of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and defile a man. Now the world deals with sin in all sorts of ways. You might recognize that all of these things that Jesus lists are bad. Maybe. So sin then gets blamed on society or the circumstances around you 
because it is true that in certain circumstances you will be tempted to behave worse than if you were in other circumstances. You can read this in Plato's Republic. If you're rich, you're less likely to cheat people. Maybe. But again, the world looks only at the outward behavior. Or sin is denied altogether. That's another trick of the world. Desires that run contrary to how we were created to love each other are called natural and loving. Our sin is blamed on our material existence, and they imagine that the soul would be pure if only you could be freed from your body. But they ignore the words of Ezekiel the prophet, the soul that sins, it shall die. The soul is precisely the problem. It is our soul, our heart, our mind, that needs to be saved from the first and foremost. How we think, what we believe, what we trust in, what we love, what we fear, what we rely on. The heart, that is what matters. And the prophet Jeremiah says in those words that pierce as the sword of the Spirit always does, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And so the world ignores this. The world ignores the chief problem. It offers you instead a religion when you care about what it thinks of you. It is a religion that excuses the sin of your heart, the sin of your soul. It is a religion that says it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are nice to other people. Or it is a religion that says it matters what you believe, but you can become righteous and good by doing good works. Or it is a religion or spirituality that tells you to trust in yourself to become the person that you yourself can approve of and love. In every case, in every case, the world, the world's religion flatters you and tells you to believe in yourself and what you can do, even when it tells you to worship God. It is this religion that denies who you are by nature, that you are a sinner. And so standing before the world, it seems easier in the beginning because the world denies your sin or the world gives you a way out of your sin that you can fix and that is our nature, constantly to follow in our father Adam's footsteps and try to fix things on our own, as if those fig leaves can cover our shame. But this is the religion that you renounce today, John and Anastasia. It is the religion of works. It is the religion that ignores the true natural condition of your heart. And this is the reason that the world always has and will persecute true Christians. This is why they killed Christ. This is why they cast the apostles out of the synagogues. This is why they fought and still think today that they are doing God's service when they kill Christians. And it is not just because Christians refuse to budge on what is right and what is wrong. Go talk to a Muslim about the state of morality in America, and he very well might agree with you in many things. There are lots of religions that can figure out what's right and wrong with, what's wrong with greed, lust, and pride. No. The reason the world will always persecute true Christians is because the Christian religion doesn't allow the world to keep any of her own righteousness. 
All of the caring about what the world thinks, all of the improvement of people's lives, all of the works people do to make themselves appear good to themselves and others, all of the righteousness of the world is, according to the scripture, according to the prophet Isaiah, filthy rags. And the world is angry about it. I once had a parishioner who, when I preached this, left the church and went to another church. And then I preached at that church as a guest preacher, and I preached a very similar sermon, and she left the church again. She was angry. All of her best efforts were counted as nothing for her salvation, were counted as nothing with what she must stand before God with. The world will not let her righteousness be taken away from her. She trusts in it even though it doesn't save her. And so she doesn't listen to the testimony of the Holy Spirit who testifies that Jesus Christ is the Lord, our righteousness, the only righteousness the sinner needs. She doesn't know the Father or Jesus as long as she knows only her own righteousness. She knows only the gods she invents who approve of her works. And so she will not have her works done away with by the work of Jesus. She will not have her suffering overshadowed by the suffering of Christ. She will not have her sacrifices belittled by the sacrifice of the Son of God on the cross. She will not allow her love to be subsumed by the love that calls sinners righteous without them doing a single thing. And this is why they accuse and go after Christians for every little thing they can find. And they love to find it when Christians fall into shame and sin. So they can point and say, aha, you see you're not righteous. But they don't understand that even if a Christian falls and the world condemns him and he loses everything that the world could give him, there is still a Savior who will accept and receive him and forgive him. There is a righteousness that is greater than what the world boasts in. There is a righteousness that rose from the dead. And that's what Jesus has to give to you. He gave it to you when you were so little. I could hold you, we could hold, I could hold both of them, each arm. And you were so weak, and yet you were strong, because you had the risen Jesus wrapped around you. The world, she will give you honor. It will look good. The world will give you beauty. It will look good. She'll give you riches. It will feel good. As Isaiah says, all the glory of man is like the flower of the field. It blooms up. It's beautiful. But the next day, it fades. And so the world seeks for all of what the world seeks after, the Gentiles. Food, clothing, houses, business, money, goods, and glory, honor, and power that all pass away. All flesh is like grass, and all its loveliness like the flower of the field. And God gives these things to you too. He gives them to you to use for God's glory and for the welfare of your neighbor. But he does not give these things to you as the end of all things, as what you should put your trust in or rely upon. And you know that. You know it because from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation which is in Christ Jesus. You know that it finally doesn't matter what the world thinks about you. Because on the last day you won't be asking what the world thinks about you. You will be asking what does God think about you? What does He think about you? How does He view you? How do you stand Koram Dale before God? That is the central question of every Christian's life. What does God think about you? I once knew a young lady 
whom I asked this question. And her answer made me afraid for her. She said, I don't know what God thinks about me. I, I hope that I've done enough. That is the religion of the flesh and the religion of the world. If all you have is the law of God that's written on your heart to answer these questions, if all you have is questions of whether you have improved yourself enough or whether you could compare yourself to someone worse than you, then you will run away and hide from the true God as did our father and mother in the garden. Now I'm going to tell you again this story about my host mom in finding my catechism in Dresden, Germany. She has been an atheist. I try to talk to her about it. But she read the part of the catechism on the Ten Commandments, which you just were examined on this morning in Bible class. And she told me, you can't believe this, Mark. You can't do it. It's too much. The world will only believe in what she can do. Her religion will always be that of works. If she can't do anything, then what is the point? It must not be true. A law that would tell you to do what you cannot do cannot be true because only what, is tr only what I can do is truth. That is what the world believes. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. But it is precisely to that point that we must be brought to the point where we realize we can do nothing for our salvation. To the point where we realize we are helpless, that nobody in the world can help us. That our being smart, rich, or beautiful, or virtuous in front of other people does not help us before God. Because it is with this helplessness that we are born. As David says, surely I was born in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And by ourselves we are in this sad predicament that we cannot do from our hearts what is right and good. And that is why the scriptures say, give us help from trouble, for help of man is useless. And cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. If you trust in man, if you trust in yourself, that means your heart is departing from the Lord. And so we need to see our need. We need to see our actual predicament we need to see our real condition. And we are not going to find it by comparing ourselves to the world. Coram mundo. Our condition is not ours to salvage. It is not ours to redeem. It is not ours to atone for, to make up for, or to change for the better. We cannot whitewash ourselves. Jesus would call us whitewashed tombstones then. Our problem is precisely that we by nature rely on trust in ourselves and what we do and not in God who made us. We don't rely on the one who made us. This is what the world ignores. This is why the world can say all gods are the same or if you don't want to believe in God, fine, as long as you're a nice person. She'll offer all these different things. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. As long as she doesn't have to listen to the God who says, you should love me above all things. You should love your neighbor as yourself as much as you love yourself, as long as she can in some way soften the law of God and make it doable, then you can join her religion. It's just one religion, and it's the religion of works. And it always, no matter what, even if they speak a little bit of grace or a little bit of God's mercy, the world's religions always leave you a little bit of trust in yourself. They always leave room for you to deny that you are that bad of a sinner that you can still have some hope in yourself that is not in God, that there's a part of yourself Jesus didn't need to die for. 
And so the world will not teach you who you really are. And so the world will deceive herself and not even know who she is. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And so John and Anastasia and brothers and sisters, caring about how you stand coram mundo before the world, ought to be put far behind caring about how you stand before God. Because he is the one who made you. He is your judge. The burden of our sin is too great for the world to bear. She cannot carry it. But God can. Jesus did. And that is what the Holy Spirit testified to your hearts when you were only babies in your baptism. And it is about Jesus and him crucified that the Holy Spirit has testified to you since then. How many times have you sung on my heart and print thine image, Blessed Jesus, King of Grace? It is to poor sinners that the Comforter testifies with the words of Jesus, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now the word here translated as helper in your, your ESV or NIV actually means advocate. Ad, to or alongside of, voco, to call. He calls to you. He calls out for you. The Holy Spirit is someone who defends you, who takes your side. And the same word is used for Jesus in 1 John 2. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the atonement, the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And so the Holy Spirit advocates for you by telling you about Jesus and his death on the cross. The law of God condemns you. It sets in front of you your secret sins, the lack of love in your heart. It pierces to the division of spirit and soul. It shows a lack of trust, a lack of fear of God. It shows how you have sinned and desired what is destroyed and fallen short of the glory of God who cannot die. And the Holy Spirit advocates for you by pointing your poor, crushed heart to the Son of God whom the Father sent, made like you of a woman, made under the law that condemned you, but see it condemn him so that he redeems you and rescues you from under the law, from every sin, rescues you from the law in your place, the law that condemns you, and he brings you to your Savior who fulfilled every last jot and tittle and requirement of the law and did everything that was expected of you and suffered any punishment and consequence of your fear that you could possibly be afraid of. That is what the Holy Spirit talks about. He talks about Jesus to you. The world doesn't do that. The world can only point to her works to imagine how she appears in front of God. I hope that I've done enough, maybe it is nothing but uncertainty. All of her truth finally crumbles. All of her glory fades. <clears throat> but the Holy Spirit does not point you to your works to leave you in uncertainty about whether you have done enough. The Holy Spirit, when he has revealed to you your need for Christ, points you to Jesus Christ who did enough for you. And this will never get old. It will never stop being a new song that he teaches you to sing. Jesus lived for you. So when you see that your life doesn't seem to be enough or you're frustrated with it, then look to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. He suffered for you. So when you're afraid of the suffering that you're undergoing and you think you maybe deserved it, you think that you don't know how to handle it, 
then the Holy Spirit points you to Jesus. He advocates for you, who suffered for you. And so your suffering can only be good for you. Jesus died for your sins. So when you see your sins and you know that you deserve to die for them and be condemned, then the Holy Spirit points you away from yourself to see those very sins you are afraid of on your Lord Jesus and only on Him. And Jesus rose from the grave, innocent and righteous for you. So when that grave comes for you and death comes for you, you can say with Bach, come sweet death, I know you in Christ already. I know you conquered by him. Jesus ascended into heaven for you so that when this earth bears you down and wearies you, you know where your true home is because Christ has ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things and be with you here this morning to breathe again his Holy Spirit into your hearts to assure you what the world can't assure you of, that your sins are forgiven. That the obedience Jesus completed in place of your disobedience is now yours to clothe yourself in. And the righteousness that is his suffering and death is now yours to remove all your regret. And that blood which he shed on the cross beneath the curse of the law is yours to drink this morning. To wash away all of your guilt. And this is what is given to you in your baptism. Today I'm going to ask you do you acknowledge the gifts God gave you in your baptism? And I ask the rest of you that today too. Do you acknowledge today the gifts that God gave you in your baptism? Listen to these beautiful words of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. <clears throat> Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. What does God give you in your baptism? He gives you that. He gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit who advocates for you, who defends you against your own conscience, against the world, against the devil, father of lies, which would point you to yourself for your salvation, to your works and efforts. But the Holy Spirit intercedes for you, and he intervenes for you, and he enters your heart with his word, and he points you away from your sin to Christ, who makes you holy, and cleanses you, and separates you from unbelief, and separates you from a world that is dying, and presents you to himself, coram Deo, before God, glorious not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, without blemish. The all-seeing God who knows all cannot find a single thing wrong with you because of your baptism. Truly as Christ is the spotless Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world, so truly are you spotless who in baptism put on Christ, as the scripture says. And this is your faith. It is the faith that overcomes the world. It is the faith that is born in repentance over sin and every day. It is the faith that was given to you in your baptism. And it is still given to you today in your baptism. And it will be given to you on that day when you die or Christ comes again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Then you will stand before God, Coram Deo. And all the world will be there too, Coram Mundo. And what will you plead? Will you compare yourself to others who are worse than you? Will you point to all the good you think you have done in your short life? 
Will you plead your suffering? Will you point to others who have done you wrong? No, you will not. You will listen to the Holy Spirit still speaking to you in your baptism, testify to you in that hour about who Jesus is. He is your Savior. And that tells you who you are, who believe in Him. You are His. He bought you, cleansed you, taught you, guided you, led you through trials and away from sin, and forgave you always. He taught you to trust in Him, to dedicate your entire life to Him, because He is your life. And this testimony of the Holy Spirit is worth more than anything else in this life. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his soul? But the Holy Spirit, with this testimony, gives you a new heart. He takes out that stony heart of unbelief and sprinkles clean water on you and cleanses you from believing in all the world's idols and gives you a soul that trusts in God and in Him alone. And that is why it's worth dying for. And that is why it's worth suffering the world's shame and persecution for. And that is why before the world, Coram Mundo, you confess Christ and Him crucified for you and all sinners. Because the faith that trusts in Christ as your Savior cannot help but speak and confess this truth, Coram Mundo, to other sinners. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Now the world won't like it. People don't like to hear that they're poor, miserable sinners. And they don't think the forgiveness of sins in Christ's blood is very practical. They'd rather have more money or a better relationship with their spouse or you know, a better job or something like that. In other words, they think about worldly things. And so they'll ignore you or they'll get mad at you. They think that they get what they want by being more righteous than other people. And so they'll leave this church to go to a church that tells them to be more successful on earth. But that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they deny what you confess. The apostles testified. They witnessed the death and resurrection of Jesus. And they were Christ's witnesses. And they wrote it down in the New Testament. And they preached, not knowing who would believe. But some knowing that they would be tortured and die for it. Like Peter. They preached anyway. Because it was the truth. Christ taught them with one voice while he lived visibly on earth. But now Christ has ascended far above the heavens, filling all things, sending his spirit to testify through his church, through countless pastors and all Christians, what the apostles were taught and died for, the gospel of the forgiveness of sins. It is part and parcel of the Christian faith to be willing to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from the faith. And you two are only 12 years old. But you believe this as babies. And it is our joy and honor and privilege to confess Christ who died for us and lives for us today. And who will receive us into his eternal kingdom when ends this short life. When the world attacks us because we don't acknowledge her righteousness, then before God and before all the world, we will confess that Christ alone is our righteousness. He is not ashamed to call us his brothers. It is his kingdom we seek first. He is our strength and our song. And he has become our salvation before God and before all the world. Hallelujah, Christ is risen.
He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Jesus said, Whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Lift up your hearts, therefore, to the God of all grace, and joyfully give answer to what I now ask you in the name of the Lord. You this day, in the presence of God and of this congregation, acknowledge the gifts that God gave you in your baptism. You renounce the devil. Do you renounce all his works? Do you renounce all his ways? Do you believe in God the Father Almighty? Believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Believe in the Holy Spirit. Do 
Do you hold all the prophetic and apostolic scriptures to be the inspired God? Do you confess the doctrine of the Evangelical Lutheran Church drawn from the scriptures as you have learned to know it from the small catechism to be faithful and true? Do you intend to hear the word of God and receive the Lord's Supper faithfully? Do you intend to live according to the word of God and in faith, word, and deed, to remain true to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even to death? Do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession and church, suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it? We rejoice with thankful hearts that you have been baptized and have received the teaching of the Lord. You have confessed the faith and been absolved of your sins. As you continue to hear the Lord's word and receive his blessed sacrament, he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. Amen. Anastasia Catherine Preuss. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, give you his Holy Spirit, a spirit of wisdom and knowledge, of grace and prayer, of power and strength, of sanctification and the fear of God. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Matthew 6.33 John Mark Preuss, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, give you his Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and knowledge, of grace and prayer, of power and strength, of sanctification and the fear of God. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Psalm 118, John and Anastasia, the almighty God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given you the new birth of water and of the Spirit, and has forgiven you all your sins, strengthen you with his grace to life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your great goodness in bringing this your son and daughter to the knowledge of your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and enabling them both with the heart to believe and with the mouth to confess his saving name. Grant that bringing forth the fruits of faith, they may continue steadfast and victorious to the day when all who have fought the good fight of faith shall receive the crown of righteousness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Almighty and most merciful Father, in the waters of holy baptism, you have united your children in the suffering and death of your Son, Jesus Christ, cleansing them by his blood. Renew in them the gift of your Holy Spirit, that they may live in daily contrition and repentance with a faith that ever clings to their Savior. Deliver them from the power of Satan, and preserve them from false and dangerous doctrines, that they, may be, that they may remain faithful in hearing Christ's word and receiving his body and blood. By the Lord's Supper, strengthen them to believe that no one can make satisfaction for sin but Christ alone. Enable them to find joy and comfort only in him, learning from this sacrament to love you and their neighbor, and to bear their cross with patience and joy until the day of the resurrection of their bodies to life immortal. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Peace be with you. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we offer before you our common supplications for the well-being of your child in the world. 
So guide and govern it by your Holy Spirit that all who profess themselves Christians may be led in the way of truth. We hold faith in unity of spirit, in the bond of peace, and in righteousness of life. Now upon all ministers of the gospel and upon the congregations, come the spirit of your grace, that they may please you in all. Hold mercy, all who are in authority over us. Supply them with your blessing, that they may be inclined to your will and walk according to your commandments. We humbly ask your abiding presence in every situation, that you would make known your ways among us. Preserve those who travel, satisfy the wants of your creatures, and help those who call upon you in any need, that they may have patience in the midst of suffering and, according to your will, be released from their afflictions. Through Christ Jesus, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Lord. 
must be straight to cry. And when God gave him thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take ye my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance in the same way also. He took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new testament of my blood, which I for you, for the forgiveness of as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me.
thank you that for this sake you have given us pardon and peace in this sacrament. And we ask you not to forsake your children, but always to rule our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, that we may be enabled constantly to serve you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever.